Everybody ready? Come on, let's go. Yo, what's up? This is Rick Thorne, the Biker in Black. Welcome to the Rick Thorne Show. Uh, on this episode, I got a good friend of mine. I've known him for, man, over 30 years. He's a professional photographer. We met when he worked at BMX Plus uh, Magazine back in the day. I'm going to call him right now. His name is Tony Donaldson. Let's do this. Hey, Rick. Yo, what up, dude? What are you doing? Oh... Working on a story for the magazine, <laughs> as always. As always. Well, you're a workaholic, dude. So, what, wait, what are you working on right now? What's that? I said, what, what, are, what are you doing? What magazine are you working with right now? Oh, it's Electric Bike Action, of which I am the editor. How are the electric bikes, dude? They're blowing up, huh? Oh, it's huge. It is just, I mean, pre-pandemic, it was gaining rapidly uh since the pandemic started the sales are through the roof i mean people cannot get them fast enough and bike shops can't get them in fast enough so so compared to bmx sales because you've been in both worlds the and that's and and that's crazy to i mean i see more and more e-bikes everywhere but if you were to compare them to bmx uh, bike sells because BMX is doing good. Are they the, about the same amount or more? Um, I think it, it, it's sort of across the board with all the bike sales, and and I should include uh, even motorcycles in there because a friend of mine is one of the marketing people at Yamaha Motorcycles, and he says that they they can't build them fast. So I think I think anything out anything outdoors is doing really well right now. Because uh, people just, they, they want to get out. We've been cooped up in our houses for, you know, a year now. And people want anything they can do to get out and get some fresh air and get some exercise and have fun. And uh, that's that's what it's all about. Everybody has their own way of doing it. I don't know specifically what, what the BMX numbers are these days. Um, but I would expect that they're probably pretty good. Well, it's good for people to get outside. I mean, that's that's the number one thing to keep you healthy is to keep your body moving you know what i'm saying stay healthy you know what i mean get out there absolutely and, and what do you what do you like most about these e-bikes dude because you know i'm i'm working with house of lithium now anyone listening they're a, a new e-bike company their bikes are badass tony you hooked me up with them uh what do you like most about and thank you very much for that what do you think what do you what do you like most about these e-bikes honestly i i just i i love them i because i love bikes to begin with Right, you know, I've been doing that my entire life. Um, like you, I have a BMX background. Although, unlike you, I'm not a legend. Um, yes, you are, so, Tony. <laughs> maybe behind the lens, but um, but the, the the thing is, they're just so much fun. And that extra boost, I mean, uh, you know, if, if you if you love killing yourself going up a hill, don't get an e-bike. But if you want to ride farther and have more fun, you need an e-bike because you can control how much power you're using, uh, you know, how much assistance you're getting. You can go much farther in a given amount of time. It's just, it's, they, they are a total blast. And the funny thing is that even though I've been the editor of this magazine for five years, 
um, my provenance, if you will, in, in the e-bike world goes, goes back to 2001. I shot all the marketing advertising and PR photography for Lee Iacocca for his, uh, his e-bike project called EV Global. He saw e-bikes as the future, um, but he was about 15 years ahead of his time as far as the technology goes. And then in, like, 2008, I shot the very first, uh, some of the very first marketing stuff for um, Zero Motorcycle. So I got to ride their original Zero X, which was wow. 150, yeah, it was a 150-pound, way overbuilt mountain bike, basically, that had an electric, a really powerful electric motor. And it could go 60 miles an hour. Uh, it was a dirt bike. And it was just, it was a ton of fun. It was a little expensive for the time. It was like 11 grand. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, they've, they've got newer ones that go upwards of uh, 20 grand, but they'll also do 126 miles an hour on the road. And they are so much fun. You know, it's crazy. They are fun. You know, it's crazy. Why is everything, when they first make, like, come up with something, like when people invent stuff, it's got to be f- so freaking heavy. You know what I mean? Like the first cell phone's like a brick. And then like like first VCR is like, what? The first microwave is like, what? <laughs> you remember? Like, why is there? It's always got to be like, you said first e-bike was like, you know, 150 pounds. And then I'm like thinking like, why though? Why is everything got to be so? Do the people just think that like, this has got to be this big to make this happen? Or just they, they realize it works and then they just say, hey, let's start making this lighter. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is funny to me. Everything's just so damn yeah, heavy when they first, <laughs> you know? Well, the, the technology changes, and, and it makes it more possible, but you have to have a certain amount of adoption in the market to be able to get, you know, to be able to develop those products further and, and you know, expand it. I mean, look at what Tesla's done uh, with their new battery that they just announced, like, a few months ago. Um, it's a much bigger battery, but it's actually going to bring the cost of the overall battery in the car down by 56%. Right. That is huge. That is huge. Right. Um, you know, I, I just had a one of Greg LeMond's new bike. He's, he's making e-bikes now. And this thing is stunning. It's gorgeous. The design is amazing. But the craziest thing is it weighs 26 pounds. For an e-bike, that is just mind-blowing because you know most most of the bikes five years ago almost every bike that i had was over 50 pounds now even the full suspension mountain bikes with bigger batteries are you know 44 45 pounds so in five years they've, they've dropped the uh the, the weight down by you know seven or eight pounds and at the same time they've increased range and kept the power so, I mean, it's just, it's, it's the way things go, it's the way technology goes, and it, it just keeps growing faster and faster. Yeah, dude, these e-bikes, you know, the ones I got from House of Lithium, and like, we're doing this, uh, anyone listening, I'm going to have a signature bikes out, I got a low end and a high end that's coming out uh, with them, and like, what I like most about them is like, you could pedal, but it's, they're just fun. Like some people, I think some people criticize, I've heard some people criticize me, like, oh, bike's cheating, or whatever, I was like, dude. Have you ever heard of just having fun? I could pedal this bike if I want, but we're just mobbing around town. Like, what I like about it is, it's almost like you don't need like a driver's license. You don't need, you know what I mean? It's like almost like a mini 
mini motorcycle. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's cool just to mob around town, but it's not by any means like trying to replace a normal bike. You know what I mean? I don't think that in my mind. What do you think? No, I, I, I think that I think it's, it's perfect. Like as a commuter bike, e-bikes are so perfect because you are actually getting out and and you know getting a little exercise. <laughs> you get to work without being sweaty. On the way home, you can sweat as much as you want, right? Yeah. So you you can have as much of, of that as you want. And the cool thing about the the fifty fifty from House of Lithium, I mean, you can huff that thing around. Like it was, it was fun to bunny hop that over all kinds of stuff, and you know, take it off jumps and off curves, and I mean, so if you're if you're going to have a bike to get around, and you can save a ton of money on gas and maintenance and and all that stuff, um, at the same time you're you're having fun. You can be a bit of a hooligan on the on the thing. I mean, it's it's that's what I like about that bike specifically, um, and and it's configured very smartly. I mean, it, it unlike a lot of the bikes that I ride that are pedal assist, which means you have to pedal in before it gives you more power, you know, adds more power to you. you. Um, this particular bike is set up with a throttle, and normally I'm not a big fan of throttle bikes, but in this case, because of the fact that you're trying to throw it around, you're trying to have fun with it, you don't want that power to come on when you don't expect. And so you you can totally control it with a throttle, which just makes you know, it makes total sense. Uh, he, uh, uh, TJ actually left his drive one that had pedal assist, and I didn't like it. It, uh, you know, it, it surprises you. And that particular motor system is very impressive to me in the amount of range that we got out of it, because normally a bike like that with that small of a battery uh, wouldn't have a ton of range. But what do we do, like 15 miles? Yeah, you know what, dude? What I like about these bikes is, uh, I mean, I, I mob it down to the store. You know, it's just, it's fun. I can get my car, but like, I can get this bike, you know what I mean? It's cool. And like, the thing about the, the, the House of Lithium bike is it's set up like a BMX, like a BMX on steroids, you know? So, you, like, I'm jumping it and I'm doing wheelies on it. You know, I took it to the skate park. It's cool. By any means, I don't, I, I'm not trying to replace my BMX, what I do, but it's just fun, you know? And, and, I didn't really realize how fun these bikes were uh, until I got one. Because I know you've been working with them for a while, and I, I didn't. Not that I didn't take electric bike serious, but I was like, yeah, hey, yeah, it's electric bike, whatever. Yeah. But once you get one, you're like, dude, this is the shit. This is amazing. This is fun. You know? Yeah, it, 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 it's you know the first time you throw a leg over one and you start riding, <laughs> excuse me, the uh, the light bulb goes off. You just go, oh man, now I get it. Yeah. Because I had so many people, you know, trash-talking me on trails. They were like, oh, that's cheating and stuff. And it's like, where's the start-finish line? I don't I don't see one. Um, and then I would start talking to them. I'm like, have you ever tried one? And they'd be, you know, they'd give me that angry no. And I'm like, well, here, take this, ride it up that hill. And two pedals in, they either said wow or holy shit. They go up a hill, they come back down, they've got a big smile on their face, and they're totally mad at me right now because... I've just sold them two, one for them and one for their significant other. That's the thing that I love about e-bikes is it's such a great equalizer. Yeah. Two people of two or three or ten, or I've gone on groups of 20, uh, people of differing abilities and different fitness levels can ride together and, you know, you can all just have fun together. It's not about, you know, 
hey, you know, I, I don't like to go riding with Johnny because Johnny's so fit and, you know, he just leaves me in the dust. Like, no, you can go out and have fun with all your friends and everybody's keeping up, everybody's, you know, the, the pack is all there and you're just having a good time. And, and, and they're totally worth it, you know, because, look, you don't have to have insurance and you don't have to, you know, obviously driver's license, you don't pay for gas, all that stuff, it adds up. So you think like, yeah, if someone's paying like, you know, a few thousand dollars for an e-bike, which is actually more on the low end, right? Like those bikes get to be pretty costly, right? Oh, they can be. I mean, you can you can spend a thousand dollars, you can spend twenty. <laughs> most most of them are closer to five. Yeah, but, sounds about right. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, it's 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 what you want out of it, and you know, people who are serious bicycle people that get into e-bikes tend to buy the more expensive ones because they like the better components and the better you know build and that kind of thing. But, you know, some of what you're paying for is, you know, some of these bikes are, are carbon fiber and, you know, crazy materials to, to keep them as light as possible versus, you know, you get some of the, the lower end ones, eh, they're not going to last that long. So, you know, the so you, you have to find what you're going to like. The cool thing is I did an article a couple of years ago where I raced a bike. I, I, I was on a, a, an e-bike and I raced against a car going from Santa Monica to downtown L.A. Um, in rush hour traffic. Now, it was the week before Christmas, so traffic was actually light. So he took the freeway. He beat me to where we were going, but by the time he found parking and got to the building, I was there. Wow. So no, no real time savings there. Uh, I you know, came back and you know, used less power and got a little more sweat and all that stuff. Um, the car that we rented for that was a Nissan Versa. It used one gallon of gas, which at the time was $3. So three, it, it, we're ignoring the cost of the car and the maintenance and the insurance and the, all that stuff. We're just talking about, you know, the straight cost of that trip. And so round trip, it was $3 for the car, uh, for the bike, it was, an, and this was a peak L.A. rate, so it was 19 cents. Wow. So, and, and again, I got exercise and, you know, just it, all, all the advantages you get with a bike. Now, granted, you can't always do that if the weather is not great. But uh, yeah, of course. At same, but at the same time, like, like you getting around the valley where you live, some of those traffic lights are so ridiculously long that if you get stuck at a couple of lights, you could have biked there like three times faster. Oh, yeah. You cut through the valley. If you're, if you're going from like, you know, uh, in Tarzana over to like Studio City and you're, and you're not taking the 101, yeah, it's going to take you 40 minutes at least. Stop, go, stop, go. You know, it depends on, actually, it just depends on the time. But it, 30, yeah. 40 minutes, it'll take I'm, a while, you know? Yeah, no, no, no. And, and I'm also talking about, you know, the San Florida Valley because that's got, you know, the, the ridiculously long life and they've got 20 miles of Paseo, the sort of bike path that is completely protected from cars and it's just, it's a fantastic way to get around. Well, the thing about the problem up here is that people, what I'm realizing is people drive like super politically correct where they'll like, I don't know if that's the right way to say that, but they drive like overly cautious. That's it. And they'll be driving and they'll you go up to a light 
And instead of being like normal distance behind a car, they're like five distances behind the car. Like their social distancing <laughs> yeah. is driving. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're creating a problem. You ever heard of go with the flow? That's the thing up here. I get frustrated, man. People don't have to drive. I'm the best driver in the world. You understand? Anyways, anyone out there, <laughs> check out House of Lithium. Um, I got bikes coming out. Uh, e-bikes are amazing. I want to get into your photography. Uh, everyone out there, Tony is an amazing photographer. We met years and years ago. You actually shot the first photo of me and BMX Plus magazine, and I still have that magazine actually, of a candy bar. It's a trick, everyone listening. It's, it's a candy bar. A 1988 Wayne, New Jersey contest. And that photo was the first photo I ever landed in a magazine. And uh, that's how we met. And so just to, just to set, you know, let everybody know how we met, like how did you get into the BMX photography world? Okay, so try and make this a, a, a not boringly long story. Wait, no, no, this would be a good story. So listen, I'm going to crack open a monster. Listen. Ah, all right. Nice. We, we know that's a beer. Just kidding. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I was, I was a BMX kid and, you know, I got, uh, so friend of mine, uh, Lance Fleury, guy I grew up with, still friends with him. He was my best friend and he got a BMX bike and it was a Diamondback Silver Streak and I was like, oh, that's so cool. I need one of those. So I begged and begged my parents and for Christmas one year, they got me a Schwinn Predator and, uh. I just loved that bike, and, you know, as kids do, I started swapping parts on it right away and stuff. My dad didn't even notice until I switched the pedal. You know, I put I put Chassis cranks on that thing, and, and uh, he didn't notice that. I put GT bars on it, which are much bigger than the stock bars. Didn't notice that. I switched the pedals, and he goes, why are you changing parts on that? And I'm like, Dad, it's what we do. <laughs> So he he didn't really care that much because I had a paper route and that's how I spent all of my paper route money was on the bike. Um, but I I took it to the first day I took it to my middle school and locked it up at the bike rack. There was a group of kids there that had BMX bikes and they're like, "Oh, you have a BMX bike?" I'm like, "Yeah." And so suddenly I went riding with those guys that day and every day after that until the end of high school. So. For a while, uh, at first I raced. Uh, I was never any good. I I never made it out of beginner class. Um, but then, you know, between races, we would do all kinds of stuff. We'd be bunny hopping over curbs and seeing how far we could go and all that stuff. And we got started doing, started, you know, you're reading the magazines, you're looking at all these tricks, and you're trying to learn them. And so we just got into freestyle. That was, like, the thing. So... Um, we would go out and ride every single day unless it was raining or something like that. But, you know, I grew up in the Midwest like you did. So in the winter, I practiced balance tricks in the basement. So I got pretty good at a lot of those and uh, and that kind of thing. So anyway, I, I did that. I had a BMX, I had a, a freestyle team, and we did shows around the Midwest uh, for a couple of years. And then uh, in college, a friend of mine was an associated press photographer. And he knew I had an interest in photography. I'd never really used a camera. So he took me under his wing, took me out to a football game, 
It was uh, Illini versus Michigan. And in that first day, in those first two rolls, uh, I got the shot that he'd been trying to get for 15 years. Oh, wow. I got the, the sh- so there was, a, there was a, a play right at the one-yard line. The ball snaps, the quarterback grabs it and puts himself upside down over to make the, uh, to make the touchdown. I got the moment that he was perfectly straight up and down. His feet were straight up in the air above it, and he had the ball in his face, the whole thing. Um, and, uh, and, and Seth, my, uh, my friend from AP goes, I've been trying to get this shot for 15 fucking years and you get it in your first day. So anyway, so I started shooting for the, you were a, nat- you're, you're a natural brah. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I guess so. I, I think, I think, you know, the years of, of, uh, BMX freestyle made me pretty good at understanding timing for, for athletes. Absolutely. <laughs> So I ended, up, I ended up shooting the the presidential primaries for the Associated Press because I was in the capital city of Springfield, Illinois. Every one of the major uh, candidates came through town, so I got to photograph all of them. While I'm doing all this, I'm like going, I'd like to shoot some BMX. So I thought I would try and shoot a race, so I reached out to all magazines and said, hey, I'm going to go to this race in Memphis. Uh, it's a big national event, and I got permission to be on the field, and I just wanted to say, you know, I've been reading the magazine for years, and I would love to say hello. And I got no response from anybody except for John Carr from BMX Plus uh, reached out to me and said, hey, we're not going to go to that race. Would you cover it for us? And after I picked my job off the floor, I said, uh, yes. <laughs> and I did. I did. They loved the stuff that I shot. And so John said, uh, you know, hey, why don't you come out here and hang out with us for a week and see how we get along? So I, I could not believe he asked that. And I said, okay. And so I finished that semester of college and flew out to L.A. and slept on a couple of the editors, uh, the, their couch, and got to go around and start you know, meeting all the people that I'd grown up uh, ad- admiring and and everything else. Like who? And like what? You mean you mean you mean like like the old schoolers, like Fiola and shit like that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you know, and, and I went out to the the Camarillo ramp, the Randazzo's, and and got to you know hang out with all those guys. Josh White, dude, was the bomb. Yes, he was. He was like and, uh, so sick. And so they liked what I shot, and John said, well, you know, right now we don't have any openings. This was uh, when there was BMX Plus and American Freestyler, two separate magazines from the same company. And uh, so I ended up shooting all of the the freestyle team, uh, like, their their tour. I would go and at least shoot one of their tour uh, shows. So I did Haro and Schwinn and you know, just all the major themes and basically ended up shooting an entire issue of American Freestyle between that and the Flint, Michigan King of Vert contest. Um, So then John called me up and said, hey, one of our guys is is leaving, so that leaves an opening at American Freestyle if you'd be interested. And so... American Freestyler, dude. I remember that magazine. So sick. Yep. 
So I uh, I packed everything I could into my terrible Chevy Celebrity and put my bike on the back on the rack and drove out here in two and a half days. And that was that was in like July of '88, and then I, uh, I I've lived here ever since. Wow, that's amazing, dude. You know, that's a rad story because, uh, you know, you followed it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, you said something earlier that made a lot of sense is that you learned about timing and shooting by being a bike rider because it is about timing. You know, when you ride, all of it's about timing. You know what I mean? You do a, If you do an air that's two foot compared to a 10 foot and you're doing the same trick, your timing's different. You got to execute that trick at a different time. So... And plus you rode, like the, the number one thing is work with a photographer that actually rode a bike or is into it. I've shot with many photographers before that don't even know the sport. And you're like, okay, this is going to be a rough photo session. Like I got to educate you on when to, you know what I'm saying? Like when to, when to shoot the photo. It's, you know what I mean? That, so it is about timing. You know, you, you have to, one of the things that I've always liked to do is shoot with a wide-angle lens and get really close to the action, which is why I've broken more cameras than most people will ever own. Um, but you, you <laughs> kind used to uh, say that my middle name was impact damage. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's one of those things, you know, it, you hear the frustration of the writers because somebody's shooting for a newspaper, and, you know, I used to shoot for newspapers, and I still do sometimes. And, the philosophy is very different. They want a tight shot. The problem is, you get a guy on a ramp, and you do a tight shot of him against the sky, you have no contact. There's no sense of play. There's no, like, oh, you know, he's feet out of the, you know, eight feet above the coping. You don't get that from that shot. You know, you, you get a, you get a, oh, well, this is what this guy looks like, but, you know, you, you just don't understand that. And case in, case in point, I still would rather shoot wide. Um, I was shooting for ESPN uh, at the Winter X Games one year, and I would pick up an extra assignment from New York Times every day. And they wanted, on this particular day, a shot of a woman, didn't have to be any specific woman, a woman on a snowboard on a jib. So I went up the, went up the hill, snowboarded down, found a good jib, and the shot I had pictured in my head was, okay, I'm shooting down the hill, so she's got to be backside, and so I can see her face, but you've got this, you know, you've got the mountain and then aspen below, which is just really pretty. And so I shot it with a fisheye, um, this woman came up, just spot on perfect, shot it, got this beautiful shot sent it to them, they ran it, cropped into just her. And I'm like, oh, you're killing me. <laughs> I know, right? But no that, idea what's going that, on. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I shot with fisheye lenses, you know, a lot, uh, still do sometimes, um, because of that. So you get the sense of place and all that stuff. And then it was interesting to see later, like in the, in the 90s and stuff, some of the, the magazine photographers doing these beautiful, just a panoramic, sort of a panoramic shot, like a two-page spread, and there's a guy really small, you know, getting major air off of the jump. But it's just, it, it sets the scene so beautifully, and I, I always like that kind of work, too. Yeah, for sure. 
obviously there's a way to like shoot a photo the wrong way like but have you ever have you ever encountered that with a rider it's like no i want it shot like this and you're like no but i want to shoot it like this has there ever been any conflicts like that not really i mean i'm i guess because i'm fairly open like when i was shooting a lot of ads for vans um i would always have a meeting with the rider beforehand and say hey you know what do you envision for this what what do you want to get for this particular shot and you know, between that and then me designing, you know, how the lighting is going to look and everything else, um, you know, getting the, the composition right and stuff. And this was, you know, even back in the film days, uh, I switched to digital in 2001, like pretty early on. Um, but uh, back in the film days, you had to know that you had it because you didn't, you know, you were long gone from that place before you know, the, the athletes loved working with me because I would get what I needed quickly and get out. And I remember having this, this you know, conversation that they, you know, sometimes their designers would come out and watch. And they're like, you're charging all this money and, you know, you're, you're only there for 20 or 25 minutes. And I go, well, okay. And, and I'll use a, a, a specific example. At one point, uh, the, the craziest trick that Corey Nastasio uh, was doing was like a no-handed backflip. So, you know, risky move. And it was his toughest trick at the time, which means that he didn't have it, like, perfectly wired. And you, as a photographer, so, as a rider, you're like, yo, you got to get this shit now. I don't want to do this ten times. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and knowing that he was going to do a backflip that way, I had to be facing the direction to see his face uh, in the shot. Um, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a lifestyle thing about the shoes, but it's also about, like, the crazy trick. And I said, look, how many times do you want me to have uh, Corey Nassavi, or Nasty, uh, do his hardest trick before, it, you know, if I know I've got it, he knows I've got it, how many times do you want me to have him keep doing it until he gets tired, makes a mistake, falls, breaks his arm, and you got to pay him for six weeks that he's not working? And they went, oh. So I was like, you know, it's you're not paying me for my time, you're paying me for the results. You know, I, and, and to me, it's always been more about, you know, I want to, I want to work with athletes and I want them to really enjoy working with me. So we go out, we get crazy good stuff. I may mix it up a little bit and do an extra shot or two, but I'm not going to sit there and fumble around and, you know, make them do stuff 50 times because that, that doesn't help anybody. And then it's just frustrating. So I have another friend who was a photographer, and I'm not going to name names because I love him to death. But he's the most painful person to shoot with. He uh, he doesn't he doesn't know what he wants going into it, and he keeps you know working around and around on it, and it's just it's frustrating. It's fun working with him, but it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, well, what I was getting at earlier is just like you know, look, the GoPros kind of allowed a lot of at least me like my own freedom it's like a piece of art every day i go out and i shoot something you know um and do my thing with the gopro and every now and then i'll go with my buddy jeff and he has like you know just a, a digital camera but it's not a gopro you know i don't know what i don't know much about cameras but it's like a high-end you know and it's where you gotta like pay attention and like get that click you gotta click it like right at its peak and what I learned is that like shooting photos, I can't only imagine back in the day being a photographer where it wasn't digital, where you had to be, 
it seems like you're just as engaged with the rider, like what the rider's doing. You're, you're just as engaged as the rider is doing the trick as you are shooting the photo because you have to be absorbed in what they're doing to get that moment. Did you ever feel that way back in the day? Like you just kind of, I mean, you probably still do, but it's digital, it's different. But back in the day, did you just know like 35 millimeter, I'm engaged in this, boom, got it. Yeah, we got it, it's good. Like that's some confidence. Because I don't know if I could yeah. be like that. I'd be like, I don't know if I got it or not. I need to look at it, you know? <laughs> well, it, these days you have that option. But, uh, no, back then I, it was just, it was one of those things, that, and it takes longer to learn that way. I mean, because you don't see your stuff for, you know, a couple of days. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's, there was no instant verification or instant feedback as to whether or not you were doing something like, you, you know, I mean, the slide film, if you blew the exposure... That, that was an unusable image, even if you caught the perfect action. So, you know, you I lived and died by a light meter back then, and now I I don't I don't have to. Um, I I can use my my eyes actually work as a pretty good meter, and and I still shoot everything uh, manual except for I use autofocus, but my exposures are all manual, and they're almost always spot on. Just you know, because I've been doing this for. 33 years awesome do you think more people should respect photographers because you know some people sometimes people go oh can i use this photo and i'll be like well i don't own that photo i didn't shoot it and they're like oh i go well let me ask the photographer i've always been like that because i get it but do you think like the majority of people do you think they get that or they're just like that's oh, just a photo dude just i mean come on and you're like dude what are you talking about do you get that a well, lot I think do you I, get that a lot yes 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 i do um, I think it's been turned into a commodity, um, you know, partly because with digital coming in and these cameras are so good that, you know, the camera can do a lot of things for a person with it uh, that they don't have to pay attention to. You know, they, they don't have to think of it in, in sort of three dimensions like we had to back in the film days. Um, but I think, I, I think that... Uh, that lack of respect has, has made it to where people do think that, you know, photos are free and that there's no, you know, nothing valuable about them and stuff. I mean, I used to make, dude, I used to make 85% of my income from stock photos, which means I would go out and shoot photos of events or people or whatever, and then I would list them with a stock photo agency, and then they would license them out. Wow. Checks, you know, yeah. every month from a couple of different agencies, depending on the type of photography it was. I, I went from that to, you know, an average sale would be 150 to to $1,000 um, to where it started being like 12 cents. Wow. And, and, and that kind of thing. So it, it's completely changed my business um, in the past 20 years. But, um, but it, it works both ways, too, because, you know, I would get approached all the time from people saying, hey, you know, can you, uh, you know, can you license me this image to use on a T-shirt or a, you know, postcard or whatever? And I'm like, well, you have to get permission from the athlete. And they're like, well, no, we're going to make it a silhouette. And I go, hey, it doesn't matter. People can tell who that is. I mean, you can tell a riot by a writer's style exactly who it is just by seeing the shadow. Yeah, I think. I mean, it, it, yeah, you can absolutely. I remember I saw. Uh, it had to be at Target. Again, thinking Target. It wasn't that long ago, actually. I saw a silhouette of a no-hander, and it was Dave Mara. Uh, I knew it was Dave. 
I, I have a photo of it somewhere. It's the last couple of few years ago. I shot photos of it because I was like, this is BS. Yeah, you you just know, you know, you could just see it. And and I think I think as much as like being a writer to where being a writer to where uh, I feel like, you know, at times I was uh, disrespected uh, and, and my work and, and been ripped off. I never thought that like photographers needed to be ripped off. Um, so that's why you always took the time to say like, hey, we got to make sure we compensate the uh, the photographer. You know, because there's been people at times when we were riding and they'd be like, you're just riding a bike, dude. And I was like, no, dude, you're out of your mind. You know, it's like, this is how, this is our job. And I don't really like to say job. Do you ever look at what you're doing as a job? I mean, you love it. So it would be considered a job, but do you, I'm asking you, do you, all these years, have you considered what you're, you're doing a job? Yes and no. Um, you know, there, there are times that, you know, my artistic side isn't as happy with whatever particular project I'm working on. It, it just has to be done a certain way, and it's, and it's maybe not the way I would do it. Um, but overall, I mean, it's it, it, in reality, I can't imagine doing anything else. Like, I just, I really enjoy this. And, you know, after three decades of doing it, it's still just as fun if not more so now, and just as creative. You probably got a grip of, like, old-school BMX photos stashed somewhere, dude. Uh, I, I do, and then, of course, I've been sort of reliving it a little bit because uh, Rooftop's been coming into the office and scanning some old photos and stuff and showing me some of the stuff he's finding. And he, he came across a couple of uh, slide boxes that had my name on them, he goes, there better be something good in here. And I go, I don't make any guarantees. <laughs> so. <laughs> Do companies still say, hey, we want to hire a pro photographer. We want to hire you. Or are a lot of people taking shortcuts and saying, oh, we can just do it ourselves? Um, it's a mix. Like, I get, I get, uh, I had a, a new client last year. And I was shooting some product photography for them. And they were trying to get things done really quickly and, not have to have me go over and pick up product and bring it back here and shoot it and then take it back. So I I walked in and I saw the setup that they had that they were trying to shoot uh, their products with, and I, I'm looking at it going, well, no wonder yours looks so terrible. You're <laughs> lighting it completely wrong. I didn't tell them that. But I knew that at some point, because I, because I saw that they were doing that, that I would lose that client. And, you know, that's that's not a client I want. I mean, if they're if their biggest concern is the amount of money that it costs, if they think they can do it better, and I, I had uh, a friend who was a designer and he used to hire me for a lot of good stuff, and he saw that I was actually making more than he was on the job, and so he plotted against me and, and set me up in such a way that I got basically uh, passed over for him, and so he could do it because he was like shadowing me all the time and watching what I was doing and you know, asking me lots of questions, and I kind of knew where it was going, but I was hoping it wasn't, but it did. I think, I, I could, I hear you, bro. I, I could definitely see a difference between, like, a GoPro shot or, and no no offense to GoPro, they're amazing cameras, dude. I love those things. But, like, to, like, awesome. or to, like, a shot to where, like, you shot it, you know, you're like, okay, this is, like, huge difference in quality still, even 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 on the digital side. Yeah, and, and some of that comes down to, you know, 
some of the technology controlling the lighting, you know, whether it's natural light or added light. Um, although I just heard that they, there's one of the flash companies just came out with a flash that actually works with an iPhone, and I'm going, oh, man, there's the beginning of the end of the camera world. Um, do, you think, do you think that's why people, like, don't respect, uh, I'm sorry, that, that might not respect or take for granted photography because they could just shoot it on their phone? Like, I'll shoot the photo. I know what I'm doing. No, I, you know, the funny thing is I, I shoot a lot with my iPhone. Like, I, I just do, and I've got the, the 12 Pro Max Excelsior Super Mega, whatever. Um, but, like, the wide-angle lens and the, the processing inside uh, with the way it handles exposure and stuff, it's just, it's the camera I always have with me. And, you know, it, what kills me is, is you know, I'm, I'm a lifelong Nikon user, I don't understand how Nikon can't build some of the same things into their camera that is built into an iPhone. Camel, tricky exposures. Now, I do it just because that's how I've been for my whole career. But there are those times when it's really tricky and, you know, maybe the sun's in the wrong place to get that particular trick and you can't just, you know, turn a jump sideways or, you know, move a ramp, move a half by 30 degrees so, you know, you, you have to look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's your Instagram that uh, so people can follow you? Uh, hold on. Let me look it up because it, I, I, it's, I, it's photo, Nick, photo Nick, Tony or something. What is it? Photo uh, Tony D? Something like that. It's Photony D. It's I tried to have everything on the internet as Photony. But that was already taken on Instagram when I signed up like 10 years ago. Wait, so what's it's your Instagram P-H-O- again? What is it? It's P-H-O-T-O-N-Y-D. Okay. M-Y-D? Uh, it, yeah, like a combination of photo and something, and then my last initial. Oh, name. okay, so photo M-Y-D. Got it. Yes. And then also uh, electric bike action. That's right. Electric Bike Action. Follow them. And you're on Facebook as Tony Donaldson, right? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Anyone out there, follow Tony. He's uh, and, and definitely definitely follow Electric Bike Magazine. Um, man, you've been in the game for a long time, dude. Uh, I'm stoked that we met back in 1988. <laughs> I'm happy we've been friends all this time. I know. It's crazy, right? Um, yeah. It's cool, though. You know, let's go another 50, bro, and then we're out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still be that on my bike though. I'll be like, "Yo, Tony, let's get this one last hit right here." Huh? You know what I mean? I'm gonna hit this hip right here, dude. You'll be like, "Dude, you don't even have a hip left." <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, dude, I want you to have a great day. I really take, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me. Uh, anybody out there, follow Tony. And uh, yeah, man, keep. You know, I like to say this to every photographer that I know: stay focused. Ha <laughs> ha! Nice uh, fun. Love uh, it. Dad joke. That's awesome, Nick. <laughs> All right, dude. Have a great Heck day. Yeah. All right, you too. Much love. Bye. Rick. Bye.